When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Guys, ZPAC, I'm really excited. This is our first audio-only podcast interview, and we have a very special guest today. Just some quick housekeeping. Uh, wanted to let you guys know that there's a new subscription service, a way you can support the show on Facebook for $4.99 a month. You can get access to early releases, exclusive live video conversations with me, and you can help shape the conversation that shows up on the main page. So definitely check that out and share this audio podcast. The way you can help us here is to uh, subscribe, to leave a review, especially if you're using iTunes, a star review or a written review, it helps us a lot to spread the word. Okay, today we have a very, very important guest. This is a conversation that is gonna affect everybody in healthcare because it really gets to the heart of our relationship with patients, our relationships with our institutions and our online reputation that in this day and age can shape so much of our career and it feels like so much of it is out of our control. And the question is, how do we keep it in our control? Our guest today is Dr. Ricardo Quarry. He is a clinical associate in cardiothoracic surgery at the Cleveland Clinic. And recently we talked about him on our show because CNN ran a piece about how he in 2016 was the victim of a false accusation during a patient lawsuit against the hospital he was working at at the time, which was Yale. The patient accused through, through his lawyer, through her lawyer, accused uh, him of lying about uh, a procedure-related event and an error that was made. And that accusation was ultimately recanted by the lawyer uh, sometime, some years later, but the damage to Dr. Quarry's career already was substantial. Since that time, a lot has happened. And so I wanna go back and hear from uh, Dr. Quarry about what happened how it was ultimately um, uh, revealed that, that, that these accusations were false and what we can do to recover our reputations and protect them online. Dr. Corey, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's, it's really, uh, I'm really glad when people actually agree to be on the show because I think a lot of times people see what we do and they go, oh, this guy's like some rapping doctor clown. I'm not sure I want to be associated with it. But someone <laughs> like you who's already been, been reputationally burned by false accusations online, uh, to, to, to see our platform as something that you can use to help get your story out means a lot to us. So thanks again. No, thank you. So let's back up. Uh, you have an interesting story because you're actually a Jamaican immigrant, came here when you were 12, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I was born and raised uh, my early years uh, in Jamaica, first in, in Kingston, uh, Jamaica, and then in a small town uh, right outside Negro called uh, Sheffield. That was my early years. And then when I was 12, I moved to South Florida to a small town uh, called Pahokee, which is where my, uh, my, my father uh, lived at the time. Wow. So, it, it did, how, how did your father manage to emigrate? Was it uh, you know, a conscious decision on his part? Was it driven by anything political? No, uh, it, it was really a conscious decision based on work. You know, mm. my, my father uh, uh, wanted to pursue, you know, some upward mobility in life. And one of the things that, uh, one of the ways that he saw to do that was uh, coming here and working in the States, which he did. He uh, worked for several years, eventually he started his own small business, uh, which he still uh, uh, runs to this day <clears throat> in South Florida. So uh, at the age of 12, I, I moved here uh, to the United States and I uh, was living with my uh, my my father, my, my stepmom, and my uh, uh, siblings. Wow. And and so how, you must have had a thick accent at the time, and was there any trouble fitting in when you first moved? Oh, yeah. You know, we all know how kids can be. Oh, yeah. You know, especially at that age. It, uh, it, was, it was definitely rough. But, um, uh, you know, I would say it was my, my, my brother and I would say we, we, we adapted pretty quickly. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just, it just like any other child, you know, 
I, I, I had fun uh, growing up. You know, I, I had my, uh, my my share of bumps and bruises uh, and, and, you know, playground fights. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you, you know, all in all, I would say it was it was it was fun time. And uh, I, I did. I went to a school in Palm Beach County, Pokey High School. Um, and then after that, I went to college at Florida State University. Nice, Florida State. And when did you become interested in medicine? Because, you know, kids are really resilient. The fact that you were able to emigrate uh, and then adapt and, you know, even go through the little bit of drama, I'm sure. And like you said, kids at that age are tough. Because I remember as a son of immigrants, it was enough. Uh, Growing up in a rural town, uh, you know, really it was a struggle. And part of the reason I developed a sense of humor was to use it as a coping mechanism and a lubricant to keep myself safe. Um, but by the time you got into college, you were probably pretty comfortable in your own skin. And, and w- what made you start thinking about medicine? So actually, I wanted to, to do medicine. Specifically, I wanted to do cardiac surgery, uh, probably uh, since the age of about six. Wow. I was, I was very young, too young to even know what surgery was or what a heart surgeon was. But um, ever since, uh, I, I remember very clearly, it was the summer, um, I was watching uh, this program. It was like a Discovery Channel program, and it was talking about the heart and how the heart functions and, and its importance to the body. It was all about the physiology of the heart. I was completely mesmerized. And I remember telling myself that's what I wanted to do. Now, I was, a, I was a little kid, probably, you know, again, about five or six. And this was way before I even uh, migrated to the U.S. And I, I always had the thought that that is what I wanted to do. And I, I think I've had that singular focus uh, ever since then. Wow. So from age six, and it was Discovery Channel that launched it? Yeah, I know. I, I, I literally I literally blame my career choice on the Discovery Channel. That's you know. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, because I have to blame my parents for being models. And I, so, so whenever I'm feeling like, oh, why did I go into medicine? I'm always like, mom and dad, you know, it's, it's therapy time. But for you, at least, you know, you have a large corporate cable channel <laughs> to nail oh, it yeah. on. Um, you know, that's interesting because it, it does get to the interesting uh, influence that American media has internationally. So you're in Jamaica watching Discovery Channel and it transforms your life in effect because when you come to the U.S., then you go down this singular path, like you said, to achieve something that many doctors have trouble achieving, which is, you know, cardiothoracic surgery proficiency. Um, Have you ever really kind of thought about that and gone, wow, that's interesting, you know, because the media gets, the media played such a role later in your life in terms of harming your career, but it kind of launched your career as well. Yeah, and that's actually one of the, the, the ironic things about this whole situation. Um, you know, I could say that in, in some respects it, it, it came full circle. Um, but, you know, I, I would say from where I sit right now, we're making another turnabout again. So, Awesome, yeah. awesome. Well, we, we want to help with that because we want people to hear your story. You went to Ohio State for medical school? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. How was Buckeyes. Nice. How, how, well, how was uh, medical school for you? Did you enjoy it? Did you find it to be a struggle? Was, were you prepared for it? So, you know, one of the things about going through this whole process, uh, uh, you know, everyone who comes through this part, this pathway, you know, they're, they're really bright individuals. And I think most of us would say that, you know, going through school and elementary school, high school wasn't, wasn't that big of a deal. And in, in some respects, even, even, even college, you know, we, we maybe had to work a little bit harder, but we, we still did well. But I think what we all noticed is that the higher, the higher we, we went, the harder it became, the more we had to work uh, to, to, to stand out. And, and I, that was definitely my experience as well. You know, I, I, I had to work even harder in med school than I did when I, than I, did when I was in college. Um, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was, it was a fascinating journey. Um, it, it, it really grabs your attention and holds on to it because you're, you're literally learning about the human body and how it functions and how to manipulate it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating world and, uh, I, I, I completely loved it. I knew I made the right decision. I knew I was on the correct path. Wow. Wow. You know, so listen to that kids. 
Uh, it's hard work if you want to be a heart surgeon. You do have to put in your sweat equity. Well, one question I had for you is what was the first, do you remember the first time you saw a surgery? Uh, <laughs> actually, um, uh, I do. Uh, so uh, one of the things uh, uh, about me is that I have um, in some way or another been a part of the medical community from a young age. So I actually have a uh, pretty significant uh, hearing loss. Mm. which they first discovered uh, when I was uh, very young. I, I, I was having chronic uh, uh, ear infections, which is not unusual for a child. Uh, but there was something different uh, about mine. And uh, uh, eventually what they came to realize is that I was suffering from significant hearing loss. And uh, the, at the time, they thought it was reversible. Um, so I actually had several surgeries uh, before the age of uh, seven. Wow. Uh, to try to re reverse the, the, the damage from the infection and the subsequent hearing loss uh, to no avail. And in the end, I was told uh, it was likely nerve damage that would be permanent. I would just have to live with it. Wow. Um, yeah. So did you find that? So do you wear hearing aids or do you do any other uh, augmentation? So, um, I learned to adapt, mm. but anyone who's close to me actually, uh, after they've been around me for a while, can realize that I actually have a uh, significant hearing loss. Wow. Uh, yeah. But, uh, at, at, at this point in my life, I actually am supposed to be wearing a uh, hearing aid. And actually that during the time when I was at Yale, I had another surgical procedure because, you know, a lot, a lot of time had passed and from the time I was young until then and technology and surgery had uh, advanced quite a bit. So there was actually a surgical procedure that, that could help me. And I, I did undergo that, but, but the results were, were not very good. And, and I decided not to uh, pursue any other interventions and that if I do anything, I would hear, I, I would just wear a hearing aid. I have one. I, I just don't wear it. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because you ha seem to have no trouble hearing me over this uh, Skype call. And uh, so it, it surprised me when you said that you had hearing loss and your adaptation uh, is, is pretty good. Uh, so, yeah. you know, in the OR with masks, unable to read lips and all that, you don't seem to have any uh, difficulty with uh, the communication process. No, I don't actually. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, and and you know those kind of close quarters communications are are actually not not a problem. Um, but yeah, I, I've uh, I've adapted to it, and I've actually done both. I've worn my 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 hearing aids in the OR, and I've not worn them. And uh, it, you know, I do notice slight differences, but it it doesn't impede me in any way. That's awesome. You know, so there are. There's a hospitalist who follows our show who is um, fully deaf, actually, and had asked us for quite some time to get transcripts and captions for the show. And uh, he's able to function perfectly well in the hospital. So it, it, it really gets, we've done shows on doctors and nurses with um, various, diff, you know, sort of challenges they've had to overcome. And, and so it's, it's interesting to hear that. And it also gives encouragement to others who may be uh, suffering with similar uh, struggles. So thanks for sharing that, actually. So, um, so then you, you, you finished Ohio State. You did your surgical training at Yale, was it? So I, I took the traditional route to cardiothoracic surgery. So I uh, finished med school, and then I went through general surgery. That's the, um, that's the traditional route into cardiac surgery. You go through a complete general surgery residency, and then um, uh, you would do a fellowship in cardiothoracic surgery and traditionally it's been two to three years and I did my, I stayed at Ohio State in my general surgery training uh, at Ohio State and I also did uh, two years of research got a master's degree uh, uh, during my general surgery residency so I did a total of uh, seven seven years uh, in, in that program Wow! and then, and then afterwards um, I, I applied to cardiothoracic fellowship and I ended up uh, matching in cardiothoracic surgery at Yale. Got it. Okay. So that's, so surgical, uh, uh, general residency, then cardiothoracic fellowship. And it was at, by the way, you're a total gunner. 
I just want you to know that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, wow, get a master's along the way, and you know, seven years. Or two, like, gosh, makes me feel like kind of a, you know, my three years of internal medicine was kind of like it's a rounding error on your education, right? <laughs> so, so, but now it was at Yale New Haven when you were doing your fellowship that the drama started. Could you kind of walk us through what happened? Yeah. So uh, it's. An interesting story. So there was a patient who came in for uh, a, a surgical procedure. It's going to have a section of rib removed. Um, and uh, it, during that procedure, you know, there, there was an error, uh, meaning that the section of the incorrect rib was removed. Mm-hmm. Now, the surgeon who made that error, uh, once it was discovered, I mean, he immediately took charge of the situation and uh, talk, talk to the patient. Once, you know, once the patient was awake and able to communicate, talk to the patient, talk to the patient's family, uh, told, them, told the patient exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, from any objective standpoint, you know, the surgeon handled it appropriately. Hmm. Uh, so uh, it was, uh, it, it's not, not uncommon that when, an error occurs that there's a lawsuit that follows. But what happened a year after that incident uh, was a complete shock to me because there was several things that were atypical about how it unfolded. Like <clears throat> normally, when a lawsuit is filed, you're given a notice that a suit may be filed uh, against you or your institution, and you know you actually have time to respond and, and maybe even negotiate. And that that didn't appear to happen in this case. Now, as soon as the suit was filed, literally within the same day, there was this media blitz where the attorney for the um, for the patient gave this television interview as well as an interview in newspapers and accused me of uh, of performing the erroneous surgery. Wow. Personally accused me. And then, and then also accused me of initiating a vast cover-up, trying to hide what happened from the patient, and uh, said that I lied, directly lied to the patient about what happened. I mean, it, it, it was a complete shock. And it was, uh, I mean, from my standpoint, it was nothing less than a, a full frontal attack. And he named me personally and accused me of doing all these things. and. You know, the words that he used to describe me were, <laughs> let's just say they were far from flattering. Well, was this in a public forum, like via the news, or was this a deposition? No, was, no a public forum. He, he actually gave an interview to the, to the television station, uh, as well as to a local uh, newspaper. And the story, uh, the television interview that he gave, I mean, it went viral. They, they even posted my picture, took my... Uh, uh, my uh, uh, profile picture from the Yale New Haven website and posted it with the news story where he was personally accusing me of all of these things, none of which were true. Wow. And so nationally viral story, this lawyer is the lawyer for the patient, goes out and accuses you not only of committing the error, which you didn't, but lying Correct. about it and covering Correct. it up. And trying to, trying to, yeah, get other hospital staff members involved in a cover-up. That, I mean, it was... It, it was it was quite the story. Okay, so let let me backtrack for a second here because I talked to a malpractice attorney about your case, and what she told me was that it is not uncommon for certain litigators who are used to settling cases. In other words, they know their case isn't going to go to trial to go publicly and inflame sentiment, uh, so that when they go into the settlement negotiations, they have a they have a better leg to stand on, and they cite you know litigator litigator privilege and all of this, and mm-hmm. it's it's unethical, and but it's done, and it gives all the lawyers a bad name. Do you think that that's what was going on here with this particular attorney? So I have to tell you, um, when I, ever since the day that this first broke, I. Uh, I have asked myself why. What? Why did this happen? Why did this person do this? Um, I, I don't think I'll ever know the answer, but it was always my suspicion that that had something to do with it. It was always my suspicion um, that trying to create um, a, a, 
a story that was publicly embarrassing to Yale uh, that would uh, force them to either settle more quickly or settle more on their terms. I, I, I've always wondered if that had something to do with it because mm. I, I, it, it, made, it made no legal sense for why they would go after me, the trainee, in such a personal manner. But the, the, the way the picture was painted is that Yale was an institution where trainees were basically allowed to run amok and do these kinds of things, you know? Yeah. And, um, you, you know, I, I, I have been up and down this issue so many times in my mind. Like, why would someone do something like this when it really would not help them professionally, would not help their case legally? But what it did was cause a lot of public relations embarrassment. Yeah, it, it, and that makes perfect sense. And what the this lawyer was telling me is that this is one of the reasons she doesn't do litigation anymore is that it's just so filthy that way. Uh, and there are good there are good lawyers who don't do that, but then there are those who do. And it sounds like you were a victim of that. So here's the interesting piece before we get to the punchline of that story. So for a year or two, this was when they Googled your name, Ricardo Quarry, MD, these stories would come up. Yeah, so um, well, what happened, you know, it started out with the local TV station, a local newspaper, but what happened is Yale is a big institution, not just in Connecticut, where, you, you, you know, it's a stalwart, but in the nation and internationally. So when something like this happens in an institution like that, it's quickly picked up. And I mean, the, this thing spread like wildfire. I mean, before, before 48 hours, it was in all the major news outlets, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, my name and that exact story as he told it was in every major news outlet. And uh, for me personally, it was literally like watching everything I worked for going up in flames. That's yeah. honestly how I felt. You know, yeah. you talked about me being a gunner and spending all that time in school and, you know, getting mad. I, you know, for me, I always thought that I was doing things the correct way. I was doing it right, you know, putting the work, putting the time in. And I was literally watching it all go to ashes. I just yeah. couldn't believe it. I, I, I- and I can't imagine having no sense of control. And, and all it takes is this lawyer to go to the press and the press just running with it. And like you said, everything that you've worked for is now at risk. Where, I mean, where, did, where was your program in this? How did they treat and support or not support you through this, given that Yale's name was being dragged into all this? So the thing about it is um, everyone was caught off guard because, like I mentioned, one of the things about this is that things did not unfold in the usual manner. And from the way I understand it, when the Yale lawyers were notified about the lawsuit, it was the same day Mm. that it went to the press. So there was nothing typical, uh, from my understanding, about how this case was handled and how the suit was brought. Um, So in a very short period of time, the only thing that you could find associated with my name was this new story and everything that came after that. Now, the other thing that is interesting about it that I took note of is that, um, you know, this story went into all the news outlets, but not a single, with the exception of one person, uh, and that was Elizabeth Cohen from CNN. No one else from any uh, major news outlet reached out uh, to me to get the other side of the story. Wow. So all those organizations, uh, they, they basically only reprinted the story as he told it, as that lawyer told it. And the only person who reached out to me for comment was a reporter from CNN. Now, because we were so caught off guard with everything that was happening, and like I said, it, it unfolded so quickly, the, 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 the lawyers immediately, the lawyers from Yale and the lawyers provided by my insurance company, they, they, their response, of course, would be, you know, no comment because anything you say can immediately become a part of the suit. Mm. And that's the, the, the typical re- reaction. And, you know, and so they were basically preparing uh, for how to handle this, but while being completely caught off guard with you know just how the approach was taken, it just wasn't. It just didn't seem typical. 
That that is amazing. And you know, okay, can I rant for a second? So this actually feeds in to something I've been talking about on the show lately. And I wanna keep the politics of this out of it because a lot of people yell fake news and there's this big attack on the media right now uh, by the administration. I, I, I don't wanna feed into that because I think of a healthy, free, uh, open uh, press is key to democracy. And it's what really differentiates us from countries that do not have functioning democracy. However, the way that that media is now incentivized is to get clicks, to make sensational headlines, and not necessarily to tell the entire story. So when CNN does a piece on Mayo Clinic recently, they it's completely a one-sided piece because Mayo does the professional thing and basically won't say a lot right? Because I'm sure their lawyers and their PR people weren't saying anything. So you get one side of the story. When the other side comes out, you're shocked. And it takes other entities like podcasters and social media people to point out the mistakes. When I was a medical student, I was involved, a, a, a guy on high on cocaine ran a red light and actually hit me in San Francisco. And in the process, uh, barreled into a couple of pedestrians and actually killed one of them. And so obviously I was traumatized from this event. I wasn't injured because I was driving a Volvo of all things. And I go home that night and I watch the news and there's an image of me sitting in the back of a police car and the news reporter going, this is the gentleman who ran the red light and killed this person. Oh my God. And can you imagine, and I'm a second year medical student, I am absolutely free, I'm, I'm already traumatized. I've seen this person die in front of me. This other guy, he drives off and then ditches his cocaine in an alley and then comes back. And so what ends up happening is I end up calling the station and going, listen, you guys. And th th see, this was the difference. In the 90s, if you actually called up the station and said, you guys screwed up and you gotta understand that I will destroy you reputationally if you, if you let this stand, they actually that night went on and did a retraction that wow. night before, and there wasn't the internet and there wasn't all of that. And even that was so stressful. Now, I can't imagine, Dr. Quarry, what it must have been like for you when you've built your whole life pursuing this noble quest and this happens to you and then you're muzzled because you can't say anything and it's all over the national news. So I think the point is you cannot trust anything that you read without digging in more and we need to do a better job holding the press accountable and the government and everybody accountable. That's what the press is supposed to do. But we've somehow fallen off the rails. So so I have a, I have a deep empathy for your case, which is, which is why when I heard about it, I did a show about it because I said, you know, we gotta hear about this because in the two, so was it a couple years before the truth came out? How long was it before this got righted? Uh, well, it was about two years before the truth came out because what happened in the meantime is, you know, they have to go through legal process. Um, since it's a suit, then there's a, there's a process of what's called discovery where they take depositions from all the party involved. They basically review every single record, every single piece of information that's related to the case. And uh, they take sworn depositions on their oath from everyone involved. It becomes a, a part of the legal record. Now, um, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, for the first few weeks, this was, you know, this was a news story. Uh, once the news story died, died down, I don't know if it's because um, the attorney understood that I did not play the role that he thought I did or that he said I did, but uh, the lawsuit against me was dropped very early in the process. Mm. Um, but it was no longer a news story. But the problem is, you know, all those headlines, all those news stories remained. So anyway, we go through this entire process of discovery, which takes a little more than a year. So by October or so, uh, by, uh, by late 2017, we have all the documents and all, you know, and basically uh, none of it cooperates anything that he said, mm. um, you, you know, and what is revealed by all parties involved is that, is this is what I said earlier, you know, the, the physician made an error, he owned up to it right away, he spoke to the patient and their family, um, you know, the patient 
by her own admission. She said that she never spoke to me. And, uh, you, you know, according to, according to her and you know, the members of her family, you know, I, I had no involvement in that. And, and, you know, no one really knows where the story of me and this uh, cover-up came from. You but, know. Can I ask a question? And, and I, don't, yes. I don't think anyone knows the answer. But so the patient herself admitted that she had nothing to do with, you had nothing to do with lying about anything. And Correct. She, she never even spoke to you. And this came Correct. out after the fact, and of course, during discovery and everything else. And it took a long time before the lawyer actually said something about this publicly. But do you think there was any sort of sense that this lawyer decided to pick, number one, a trainee, number two, somebody who isn't, who's an immigrant, who isn't white, uh, to use as a kind of a, a scapegoat or do you think that had nothing to do with it? Because it's tough when you're trying to publicly inflame passion. People know how to do that in this country. Oh yeah, people absolutely do like to to to, to do that. Um, and as as like I said, it's one of the many things I've thought about. Why you know why would he pick me? Uh, he, he, and you know you know is it the fact that I'm that I'm black or is it the fact that I'm you know an immigrant to this country I've thought about all of those things mm. I cannot say what his motivations are you know or what his motivations were at the time why he did what a lawyer did what he did I, I you know I cannot say for sure but I've definitely thought about all those scenarios because again it's one of the things that has bothered me from the very beginning like mm. why would anyone do this yeah and trying to find a, 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 an explanation do, do you think, so two years later, what, what happened uh, to fill us in? Once we had, once we had gone through discovery and all these, you know, all these statements were now a part of a court record, um, you know, I decided that I need to have a, I needed to have a fighter in my camp because, you know, in the media, I was, I was this horrible doctor who apparently had no morals and horrible skills. And, um, you, you, you know, but the, the, the thing was, I didn't, at the time, I didn't realize how badly it would affect me, you know, because um, when this first happened in 2016, I'd already planned to do more advanced training, you know, after I did my CT surgery fellowship. And I was always planning to come to the Cleveland Clinic to do some advanced training. But what happened is, um, you know, halfway through that process, as I was applying for jobs, I noticed the first year um, after I after I did that training, I was applying for jobs. I literally got no responses back. Mm. So I thought it was just, you know, kind of a rough year and that, you, you know, the job market was probably just not very good. So I decided to stay at the Cleveland Clinic the second year. And then the second year is when, you know, I started applying for jobs again. And this time I would get responses back. I would get people who were interested and I would go on interviews, but then the replies back I would get uh, really started to be another gut punch. Because mm -hmm. what, what employers were telling me is that, you know, the resume looks good. You interviewed really well. It, you know, they tell me all the time, you know, really liked having you. But, you know, you have very bad public relations baggage. Mm. You know, everything on the Internet about you is about this case and, you know, uh, whatever the details are, it doesn't matter what the details are. It's the public perception. And people are not going to want to come to you as patients when they Google your name and see these things. And doctors are not going to want to refer their patients to you for surgery of all things when they see this kind of stuff on the Internet. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. And it was at that point, I, I, because, you know, even until then, I was still being somewhat optimistic that, you know, nothing really credible happened with this thing. Yeah, it was a horrible news story, but... It, there was nothing legal that came out of it, and I, you know, it didn't affect me professionally. I should still be able to move on, and, and that was a very naive way of thinking. And the more and more I started getting those responses, I started going through the whole anger phase again. Oh. You know, I, I really think I went through all five stages of depression multiple times throughout the last couple of years. Yeah, and I decided I need to to, to fight back in some way. And the, the first thing I did was to fight with kind. And I got a, I started calling around trying to find out, you know. Where can I get a good lawyer of my own? I ended up talking to several people, but I finally settled on a, on a very thoughtful attorney. And that's when I started going through the process of how can we tackle this 
and get this, um, you know, we, we have the documents. I, you know, I can get my name cleared. How do we go about doing it? Wow. And, and so you started taking this into your own hands and saying, you know what, as, as hard as I have worked to build my career, I should work equally hard to protect my reputation after this completely unjustified assault on it. Correct. And, and, and the fact that it was costing you jobs and they were basically telling you in the interviews, it was clear what the ideology of your non-success in the job market was. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it was, uh, uh, yeah, very trying time. But the other, the other problem I had, you know, while I was dealing with that is, you know, the, the entire thing about the internet. And that was another beast of its own. Tell me about that. And so, you, you know, it's like, well, how can I combat that? You know, um, well, the only, only way to do one is try to get it off, which you're not going to be able to do. Once it's out there, you're not going to be able to get it off. Mm. And, you know, two would be to try to, you know, add other things, you know. So I started doing some research and learned more about, um, you know, online like reputation, salvaging, defending. And, uh, you know, there's several websites uh, and companies that will help you do that. And I signed up for one of those. And, um, you, you know, they're, 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 there's a free version where you do all the work yourself. Mm hmm. And then there's a, the, the other version where you pay them and they do it for you. Now, you know, I was trying to do it myself. Mm. So for several months, I was actually, you know, still working my full-time job at the Cleveland Clinic and then coming home and at night trying to work on building websites to, you know, promote positive things about me, to have more <laughs> of a media presence, have wow. more of an online presence. Yeah. And I mean, I was working until like late in the night and any weekend, any time I could find trying to do this. And it it was exhausting. Of course, I was getting nowhere. This is not my forte. I mean, I know about surgery. I know nothing about, you know, websites and online applications. That's just not me. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't working and it wasn't going to work. So. I, I eventually had to hire a company and said, hey, I, I want you guys, there are all these negative stories about me, I want you guys to do what you can uh, to combat this. And, and so what did they do and did it work? So it, uh, this was one of the things that I learned from this whole experience. I've learned several things from this whole experience. Um, I would say the first lesson I've learned is when you've worked this hard for anything in your life, you have got to defend it. Mm. And I don't think I did enough when the story first broke to be aggressive about defending it. Granted, you know, we still would have to go through the whole process and get all the court documents. Um, but the other thing um, I learned is that you, you really have to have some kind of online presence in our profession. So I'm a, I'm a very low-key kind of guy. I've always been that way. And um, I actually had no social media. I never joined Facebook and... Uh, I, I didn't have anything like LinkedIn, Twitter, any, any of those things. I really had no online presence. Mm. So as it was explained to me, one of the reasons why those stories spread, well, they spread because people like to read that kind of news, but they had staying power because they had nothing to combat it because right. I had no other online presence. So what they started doing was um, building uh, some online presence for me. So now I have a bunch of different you know, social websites, LinkedIn, Doximity. I actually have a Facebook page somewhere now. Um, but, you know, I have, I, have, I have all those things now. I have a professional website and I have a blog site. So um, they, they started building those websites and, and then they would try to generate traffic to those websites. Right. Um, now, that's supposed to take time before you see any effect. And, you know, it was, it was very, very slow because that did not generate that type of traffic people people like a, a a good story a good juicy story you know especially if it has salacious details you know or scandalous details yeah they're less 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 inclined to 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 to, to see you know something oh that's like that looks like a nice professional site let's visit that so right right they generate the same kind of traffic here's the story of a tremendous gunner who's doing everything right no one cares <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. Well, it's interesting because, you know, that, that is the advice is grow your online presence, search engine optimization and those kind of things. What's interesting, though, is I Googled you before the show to see what happened. And the top 
hit now is a CNN article that I will link to in the description for the show that describes how you were wronged, what happened, and it was by CNN, which was one of the entities that actually was part of the wronging of you. Yeah. So what, what happened is, you know, once I got a good lawyer in my corner and we went about this, and it, it, you know, we talked extensively about how we wanted to go about this and, you know, what were the results that we wanted to see from my standpoint, you, you know, I mean, everybody outside of the store is like, oh, you should sue, you should get your money, you know. Right, uh, right, right. It's not what it was about for me. For me, one, I wanted the truth to come out and two, I'm... I wanted, uh, I wanted my name clear. Mm. Yeah. So the, the and, you know, money was not the issue. It was your yeah, reputation. No, money was, was not the issue. I wanted the truth to be out there. I wanted my name to be clear. And, um, uh, you, you know, I wanted to move on with my life. I was tired of this being the defining story of my life. Um, so what I what I wanted to do was um, to to really get that out there, and the best way to do that would be to have the person who publicly accused me uh, tell the truth mm. in some way, shape, or fashion. Uh, I, I was not naive in thinking that he was going to call another press conference, you know, and do another television interview and say, "Hey, uh, the story I told a couple of years ago is not true." Mm. But you know, through much negotiation, none, none of it with me being personally involved. I definitely let the lawyers then handle that. Um, eventually, what, what I agreed to do was to do a retraction and he would write off a formal letter of retraction detailing the things that he said that were wrong. Mm. And that's where we got that statement. And for my part, I realized that damage that was done to me was all public relations in nature. So I needed it to be, you know, a public relations fix. So I remembered the reporter, the only reporter who ever reached out to me when this all first started. And I actually saved her information. Wow. And when I reached out to her again and said, hey, you know, I, I, I'd like you to know that you, this story was incorrect the first time. And there is more to the story to be told. Would you guys be interested in a follow up story? And, and the answer was, was yes. You know, once I explained to her what happened and, it, you know, they were very interested in doing it. And that's how we ended up with the CNN article. You, you know what? I'm looking at the site now. Um, it's Elizabeth Cohen was the reporter who did. Yes. Your, yeah. So she and the title was Surgeon Falsely Accused of Wrongdoing Tries to Recover His Name. And she cites Joel Faxon as the, as the attorney in New Haven who made who made these accusations and ultimately printed the retraction mm -hmm. she she is the same um reporter who did the mayo clinic piece that i talked about so it's interesting she's senior medical correspondent at cnn so you know at some point i'd love to have her on the show and talk to her about how she tries to figure out what's really going on because with the mayo thing it's still controversial what's really going on there so i'm glad she was on your side in this one. Oh yeah um and you know, she was, it was good talking to her, you know, it was, it was, it was great working with her. And, um, you know, I, I like the fact that she did try to get both sides of the story. And even after, you know, um, I contacted her about this retraction of the story, you know, she did talk to a lawyer again and try to get his, um, his side of the story again. So, you know, I, I like the thoughtfulness that she put in it. And, you know, that's the reason why, why I contacted her. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that because she's gotten some criticism from the medical community lately for that Mayo piece. And uh, so it'd be interesting to get her side on that too. That, that, that's very helpful. So you, if, if you hadn't taken the action of retaining an attorney, talking to these companies that try to recover your reputation, this outcome would never have happened. It still would have been the, you know, the top search for your name that you, you, you had lied to a patient, been accused of lying to a patient and, and committing this error. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it speaks to to the fact that you you kind of said, you know what, I can't just expect the world to do stuff for me. I have to get up and do it myself. Right. What's interesting about your story that, that resonated with me is it never at any point did it seem, you said, yeah, I always ask myself, what was it that caused this to happen to me? But it doesn't sound to me like you're playing the victim here. You're not just, you know, recessing into victimhood. You're saying, no, 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 this, this won't stand. 
whatever the cause is, I'm gonna go and do something about it like I've done at every stage of my career and I'm gonna treat it with the, the same passion I put into my career. And I think that's, yeah. that's a model for people who are uh, suffering from injustice is to stand up and say, no, 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 uh-uh. I'm not gonna regress into victimhood. I'm gonna stand up and fight and not accept it and use the tools at my disposal. And I'm hoping that this podcast that we're doing now is another tool so that when we search engine optimize, it's gonna be CNN number one, ZDog MD show number two, and then all the lies. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. Man, no, I, you're absolutely right about that. And and that's some, something I was very um, conscious of. I never wanted to, to, to be the victim, you know? You know, I was I was a part of this and I felt like I was being drugged through the mud. But I, I always said there has to be a time when I will be able to respond to this in some way. I, I didn't know when that time was going to be. You know, like I said, the process was very slow, but mm. I was not going to allow myself to be the victim. That that's that's fantastic, man. And uh, I was going to say uh, now with things kind of turning the corner, where do you see your career going and, and the overall uh, trajectory of your of your life? So, you know, uh, I honestly can say at this point, I have uh, a lot. I'll, I'll, it's easier to have more optimism than it's been uh, for for a while now. But I, I think, you know, having you know, the, the truth out there and having more of a balanced story about me out there, it, it, it's going to be helpful. Because, as I explained before, um, there was never anything wrong from a professional standpoint with my career. There was never anything wrong from a legal standpoint with my career. It was all public relations you know and uh you know this story has been the cnn uh, story has been you know very helpful and uh, outpouring of support from people out there particularly people in the medical community or people who you know who have come across me uh at some point in my life and in my career it's been tremendous and it's been a huge help you know uh, oh go ahead go ahead no and and you know that that has definitely made the biggest difference I, I want to say this. So when people, when these kind of stories come out and I decide to talk about them on my show, one of the reasons I will do that is people, members of the ZPAC, the sort of tribe that we've created, will message me and they will say things like, I work with the surgeon, Ricardo Quarry. He is an amazing surgeon. He has an amazing bedside manner. He treats his team with respect. This has happened to him. Would you consider talking about it? And that happened with several people in your case. And that's what creates the momentum for me to go, you know what, this is exactly the mission that we have, which is to kind of counteract the, the experience you had, which is, no, well, you know what? It's time to take the narrative back from the mainstream press exclusively, from the government, from big business, from the hospital systems, and say, you know what? We as frontline caregivers who've put our blood, sweat, and tears into this should have our own independent voice. And if enough people kind of support you, then I know what the voice of the frontline practitioners are. And so in your case in particular, your support is so deep. People were un unequivocally supportive of you that I said, you know, I, I'm going to reach out and see. And in fact, it was some, one of the members of our tribe that had connected us. They said, you know, I know him, I can connect you. And uh, so it's a testament to your professionalism, your skills, your interpersonal stuff, your bedside manner that you had that much support. And I think it's a testament to our tribe that they're willing to give people a voice when they've been wronged. And I think we have to do that as much as we can. So it's really been an honor uh, to be able to talk to you in person. Well, I really appreciate it, and I and uh, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone out there who, you know, everyone who shared the story, who's clicked on the link, who's forwarded it along, who, who you know, who's posted kind words. I mean, it it has it has been amazing. I actually um, didn't expect this uh, level of uh, support, but it has been absolutely amazing, and that has actually been what has made the most difference. I, I love it. I love it. And I was going to say, uh, we're going to write this up as a post as well. And if there's anything you want to contribute in terms of advice on how to manage reputation and fight beyond what you've said in the show, any links, anything like that, feel free to send them to me and I'll include them in the post. Um, to the ZPAC, I want to tell you guys, please share this everywhere you can. Subscribe to the podcast. Let people know because the higher we can rank this story and our web posting of it, the more likely it is when people search for Dr. Ricardo Quarry, they are going to see the right information pop at the top of their feed. So you can be a part of the solution, ZPAC. Uh, 
Dr. Quarry, any parting words? No, I, I would just share, like I said earlier, you know, whenever you've worked as hard for something, you fight for it, you fight to keep it. And, um, you know, don't let others write your online narrative for you. You know, establish your online presence and defend that as well. You know, I definitely felt like um, I did not do enough earlier in this process. But, you know, whenever something happens, you know, you should, uh, never, never feel that you're powerless. Uh, you know, there are lots of information available. There's often information out there. And if you're connected to the right people who can give you good advice, uh, you know, you, you can still uh, come out fighting. And who knows, you can still come out on top. Fantastic advice, man. I've learned a lot uh, from you, and, and I think my listeners definitely have. So, guys, again, it's uh, cardiothoracic surgeon, uh, clinical associate at Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Ricardo Quarry. Fantastic human being, fantastic doctor who's been through an ordeal, and he's taught us a lot about how to protect our online reputation when we're falsely accused in the brave new world of social media and sensationalist press. Thank you, Dr. Quarry. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.